Okay, take two. <laughs> Sorry, guys, on Facebook. Um, yeah, about five, six, seven minutes late, whatever that is now, six minutes. Sorry. Um, yeah, Facebook, I got temporarily locked out of Facebook this morning. That was fun. And um, apparently it caused other issues. So, yeah. All right, had to reconnect, uh, restream and everything and get that all up and fixed. So, Looks like we're up and going. Drop a line. Say good morning. Say hello. Let me know you're here. We've got a lot, a lot to cover today. I hope you have your Bible and maybe a notepad, something to write with ready. Because uh, this this one, this one hits pretty hard. You're going to get convicted most likely of a couple different things. Um, if not, that might be a conviction of its own. I don't know. Um, get ready for this, though. If this is your only church experience for the week, Man, I, I really feel like you need to prepare for the Holy Spirit to school you today because this is this gets pretty intense. So we're going to dig into this one. Um, I'm seeing a couple people on Facebook right now, so that's good. That means it's working again. Yay. Say hello in the chat room. Hopefully the chat room is working on my end again. And uh, you know what? We'll, we'll get going on this. Let's dig in. Ooh, all right. Helps if I'm clicked into the right spot. There we go. <clears throat> All right, so we're looking at 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. Excuse me, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Okay, this breaks down into two different sections. Um, a lot of Bibles have this in one. Some Bibles have it breaking right at the tail end. I think verse 24 actually does work with this section. So we've included it here. And this breaks down into the Cain effect, which is verses 11 to 18, and our heart and God, which would be verses 19 and 24. Okay, so let's dig into this. Okay, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Love is a fundamental core principle of the Christian faith. Okay, that is one of the resounding, if not the resounding portion that we need to remember. You know, Jesus and God. Jesus is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is love. Love is central. Love is core. That is one of the fundamental principles that we need to take and hold on to and run with. Okay, so we've known that from the beginning. That has always been the case. Okay, now at verse 12 is when he dives right into. So he contracts, contrasts from love is from the beginning. That is what we've heard from the beginning. So contrasting from that to we shouldn't be like Cain who was a very known figure, uh, a very known name, and everybody knew this story, essentially, right? So we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. 
Okay, but we're a little ways out from this day and age. Yeah, a couple thousand years, give or take. What's the deal? Let's let's dig in and let's look back into Genesis and see what this is talking about. Let's get a quick little refresher, okay? This comes from Genesis 4. We can look at verses 3 to 8 to get uh, a quick little synopsis here. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regarded for Abel and his offerings. But for Cain and his offerings, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, excuse me, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when there, wow, I am struggling to read, guys, sorry about that, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Okay, so we see Cain was angry that God didn't like his offering. Okay, that's that's a big issue, which then instantly, at least it does to me, and I'm hoping it's not just to me, but to others, it draws that thought of why? Why did God not like his offering? Because there's a few different things that this this could mean. First, it could mean God just chooses willy-nilly, like he has his favorite people and he has his not favorite people. And so there's nothing you can do if if you're not, um, you know, if you're not God's favorite, then you're you're just screwed, right? That's that's a concept that could easily be taken from that. Um it's not an accurate concept, but it is a concept that could easily be taken from that, okay? The other options here are pretty pretty straightforward as well. Uh, it was the wrong offering, okay? Well, that offering wasn't the offering that was needed at that time. It was of bad quality. We see in Scripture that offerings need to be of a certain quality, right? So it was either the wrong offering, it was a bad quality, or he had issues in his heart. He didn't care about it. He wasn't faithful with it. He just did it because he was supposed to and didn't really care. He had hate, anger. There was something wrong with his heart in the situation that made it to where the offering wasn't pleasing. Like it wasn't given, not physically in the right way, but in the right sort of being, in the right state of being, and that it just wasn't pleasing to God. Okay. And it could be any of the three or a combination of the three. First off, we're not told what sacrifice they were given or what, what sacrifice they were, were doing at this point, we're not told whether God gave them information as to what kind of sacrifice to give. In fact, we're not even told if they have an idea of what kinds of sacrifices are pleasing to God. However, I will say that it does seem that they do know what kind of sacrifices are pleasing to God, as Abel brings exactly the sacrifices that the Bible lays out later as what is needed for forgiveness sins, the atonement offerings, okay, the blood offerings. So he brings the firstborn of the livestock, he brings the fats, he does everything the right way, and it appears that his heart is in the right section as well, in the right place as well. So he brings the right stuff, does the right thing, God's happy, okay? Which, which honestly, I hate to say it, but it sounds kind of a pagan thing. Like, oh, he brings a sacrifice and it's the right kind of sacrificing and he appeases his God and his God smiles upon him. Well, there's a reason that that was kind of the thing back in the day. And God really did work in that sort of a mindset. Not necessarily in your your sacrifices appease me and they don't appease me. So my wrath is, is kept from you. The wrath is on the sin, right? It's not on the people, it's on the sin. Okay. And that kind of atonement was there. But that's what it sounds like here, right? Well, Abel gives an appropriate sacrifice. Cain doesn't. The important question, and the, excuse me, the important point here is Cain responds to God. And how does Cain respond to God? Because God speaks, okay? We see God speaking here. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? That right there indicates that either Cain has been lazy in his work and hasn't been working hard or has been doing other issues, causing other issues and having problems and creating problems. 
We see multiple different things here, but he also says, if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And then we see Cain deciding to go against God and go towards sin. That right there is the key defining thing in life. You either are going for God or you're going for sin. Plain and simple. It is one or the other. And he goes towards sin and he gets angry and he takes and speaks to Abel and kills him. Okay. So we also see in Hebrews, we're just going to see verse 4, 11, uh, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 4, just the first part here. A, uh, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Okay. So in Hebrews, with their understanding that we're getting from that, it was a more acceptable because of his faith, which sounds almost more like it was a heart issue. It could again be heart. It could be quality. It could just be the wrong sacrifice at all. We, we really don't know. And that's not necessarily the point, but it is something that we need to look at. There was something that caused an issue and God wasn't happy with Cain's sacrifice, with his offering. The issue that we need to look at is Cain's response. Okay. And we see here, right here in John and for Sean here, that we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. So to live an evil life and to live in that way is to be from the evil one. Now, if we go just a little tiny bit further in this, okay, we see that he murdered his brother. And why did he? Because, because his own deeds, plural, which suggests that there was more evil life, right? That his life prior to the killing of Abel, was also evilly lived. He didn't live in a life that was honoring to God. Okay, that seems to really be the issue. Okay, because God even speaks to Cain and says, don't you know if you do well, it's going to be accepted. And if you don't, sin's just crouching at the door and you need to oppose the sin. Okay, see, Abel lived a righteous life, even including the giving an offering that was pleasing to God which was the firstborns and the fats, which we actually see that there's a lot talking about that with the atonement sacrifices. Those ones we see in uh, Exodus 13.2 and also in 34.19. We see in Leviticus 3, 9 to 10 and verse 16 as well. Chapter 4, 19 to 20, 25 to 26. The first fruits in the grain offering uh, comes from Leviticus 2.14. See, Cain was a worker of the fields. He was a worker of the land. So that makes sense why he brought grain or fruit, the fruit of the land, okay? Because he worked the land, so he was offering from what he was working. That's why there's so much question here. Was this an atonement sacrifice that required blood? Or was it just a generic offering? And we, we just don't know, okay? We just don't know. But the point is how we respond. Because sometimes God answers us with a no. Sometimes God answers with a blank. At least to us, it appears like a blank. There's nothing there. There's not really an answer. He does things in a way that make us grow. And we need to realize and recognize God does things to help us grow and to create in us purity and to bring us closer to himself. So all of these things he does, he does for our embetterment and to bring us closer to him. And it might not seem like that to us. At the time, it might seem exactly the opposite of what we need or what we want, but that doesn't mean that it's actually what we need, okay? God does things in a way to turn us and to guide us and to course us into him. And if we respond the way Cain responds, which is letting the anger turn to hate, and then that hate turn to murder, that's an issue. We can't live that lifestyle. And that's what John's talking about here. Do not be like Cain. Do not choose sin over love. Okay. Again, contrasting the you've heard from the beginning, it's love. So don't be like Cain who gave way to hate. Okay. Let's move on. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Okay, this is just going directly in line. You know, love is from the beginning. God is love. You need to love. Don't be like Cain and give way to hate. And don't be surprised that the people of the world, who the Lord of the world is Satan, 
the God of lies and of hate and sin, okay, that he creates hate in his people towards you, the ones who live with God, okay? So don't be surprised that the world hates you. Abel lived an upright life, and he was opposed, and this is not ended, and that's what he's saying. This isn't ended, okay? It's still continuing. Let's look at John 16, verses 2 to 3 and verse 33. I said, they will put you down excuse me, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Wow, that, okay, that sounds appropriate, all right? And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Jump to 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Okay, Jesus spoke of this. There's going to come a time when they're going to hate you and they're going to kick you out and they're going to tell you your teachings are false and they think they're doing a service to God. Sound familiar? I think it sounds a little familiar today. Okay. God, through Jesus, has overcome the world so we can take heart because we're with Christ. Okay. 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and whoever does not love abides in death. There's a few things. This statement is actually really packed. Okay. This one statement is really, really packed. We know that we have passed. Notice how that is written. We have passed. This is past tense. We are not passing. We are not going to pass. We have passed. This is a prior incident. This already happened. And what he's referring to is in salvation. You accepted Christ. You have passed from death into life already. You're already there. You're already beyond death. That's why we don't need to fear death. I'm not saying we look for death, but we don't need to fear death because we are already in life. We are born into death into a sin-filled world, right? We are born into sin. We get the punishment of sin, okay? However, we have passed death, and we are already in life. And that's where he's saying is we're already there. We do not have to fear because we have already gone beyond death, okay? He's saying that part of you here is what he's saying. Part of you changes. Upon that salvation, you get the Holy Spirit, God starts working in you, and part of what changes is a deep family-style love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, look at this. We know we have passed out of death into life because, okay, we know because, saying here's the evidence, not saying you need to do this, it's not a command, He's saying, here's your evidence of change. Your evidence of change and being passed out of death and into life is your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, this is not necessarily straight family. This is an in Christ thing. Your love for fellow believers everywhere around the world is your evidence of having moved past death and into life. Your evidence of being a Christian, of being a believer in Christ, okay? That's your sign. It's not a command to do it. It's your sign of it. Let's look at uh, John 5.24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed. Notice that he says it already there. He has passed from death to life. Okay. We're born into death, but we are brought to life through Christ. Okay. Verse 15. This is another loaded one, man. There's a lot of really, really intensely loaded ones in here. Ooh, that was, must've sounded good on your end. Sorry about that. All right. 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in 
him. Before we even touch this verse, let's look at what he's pulling from, okay? Let's look at what he's where he's talking about. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to touch the Ten Commandments, okay? This makes sense. Let's talk about the Ten Commandments. You shall not, what? Murder. Wow. All right. Makes sense. Okay. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay. There's four of the ten. Every single one of those four is a physical action. It is something you tangibly do. You can physically, wow, I'm hitting things today. We can physically murder and kill someone. It says don't do it. You can physically commit adultery. It says don't do it. You can physically steal. It says nah, don't do that. It says you can physically bear false witness against your neighbor. You can lie. You can physically lie about your neighbor. Don't do it. 17, verse 17, changes the tone. You shall not covet. What is covet? Deeply desire. Do you deeply desire with your hands or your mouth? No, you deeply desire with your heart and with your mind. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So he changes the tone. God's changing his tone, saying physical problems, mental and heart problems. Okay? Mental and heart problems. What does Paul tell us? Paul tells us that the law is given so that we know that we sin. Okay? That last one. It's hard. It's hard, right? Okay. Let's look at Matthew. Matthew 5, 21 or 22, and then we're going to jump to 27 to 28. We're just going to jump just a touch. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Just read that. All right. And whoever murders will be liable for judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Okay, hang on. They said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable for judgment, anger liable for judgment. Jesus literally takes the two and says, these are equal. Okay, angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay. So the Ten Commandments start off with mainly physical. And then he starts and it changes and God's telling us, look, this is also internal. And then along the way, we screwed it up and we wanted to really focus on the physical, as long as I don't physically do this stuff, I'm not sinning. It's fine. It's fine. I can be mad with you as long as I don't kill you. Ha ha ha. No, it's still a problem, right? It's still an issue. And Jesus comes to earth. God comes to her earth here in the form of a man and says, hey, bozo, you got it wrong. That covet part was to let you know it's in your heart, man. You've got to change this. You cannot continue to hate. You can't say you love and are of the God of love while you hate. That's not part of God. God hates sin. Yes, true. But does he hate the sinner? No. God hates the sin, but he loves the people. That's why Jesus' death washes us with his blood, so that when God looks upon us, he sees his son. He sees perfection. Because he loves us. He loves you. And so he takes the brunt of that for you because he loves you and he wants eternity with you. Okay? So what is this saying? Okay, verse 15, 
Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Well, this is just going along with what he knows, with what John knows from Jesus. Okay? He's equating that. Anger and hate doesn't just lead to physical murder, but you've murdered them in your heart. Okay? And that is the same to God as murdering in the flesh. And then he follows up and says, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is not John saying there is no room for forgiveness. Okay, let's be clear about this. There is room for forgiveness. John is not speaking of that. John is speaking very plainly, and unfortunately so plainly that we actually have to take a minute to think about it, to realize the implications of what he's saying. What he's saying, look at the context. Look from 11 up to 15. Love is from the beginning. We know love. Don't be like Cain who was filled with hate, followed the evil one, and killed. Don't be surprised that the followers of the world, the followers of the ruler of the world, Satan, hate you because you follow the God of love. We know that we have already passed from death into love because we, excuse me, into life because we love our brothers. Okay? Everyone who hates is a murderer. What's the context? What does this mean? It means if you're murdering your brother, if you hate your brother, you are murdering your brother because you have chosen sin. You have chosen Satan's side. You cannot claim God and choose hate. You cannot choose the God of love, but then in your heart, choose instead of God, hate and sin. You can't have it both ways. And that's what he's saying. If you choose sin, you're choosing the world over God. Told you that was a loaded one. All right. Verse 16. By this, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Okay. Less poetically. So it's a little bit more plain by Jesus dying for us. We know what love is, and we know that we should live as he did and be willing to both metaphorically and physically if needed, although don't seek out for it, don't look to be a martyr, but if needed, physically lay down your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? We're called to this because of Jesus. Jesus gave us our example. We're called to that. 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Okay. He's pulling, not giving back to Cain. Okay. Choosing the God of the world, Satan, is what Cain did. If you're not sacrificing for your brothers and sisters, you're choosing the same path that Cain did. Let's look at this a little deeper. Goods. The word goods is the Greek bios. This is life extensively or by which life is sustained. It's resources, it's wealth, it's property, it's all of this. And that's actually from Strong. That's Strong's definition of the, of the Greek word bios. Bios, excuse me. It says, so by saying the world's goods, the world's life extensively or wealth or how life is sustained, which would be money, housing, clothing, food, if you have a lot of stuff, basically, if you're not sinking in debt and dying and don't know how you're going to feed your kids and you see a brother or sister in need, but you close your heart against them, how is God living in you? How is the love of God living in you? That's very convicting. I have a hard time because I know there are so many people who park and uh, park their Mercedes or their Porsche and then walk down to the corner and beg for cash. I struggle in this area. I'm going to be honest with you. I struggle in that. When I know people are actually struggling, I don't struggle in that. I'm not trying to boast. I'm giving you an example. There have been several times where I have physically sold things around my house to help people. Given people things that they need that I have, that I'm not using right at that point in time, or that I don't need as badly as they do. God works that way. Sometimes you are the blessing that God is sending to other people. 
Let that sink into you for a second. Sometimes you personally are the blessing God is sending to someone else. So be that blessing. It's okay. Right? It's good. That saying it's better to give than to receive, live it. Seriously, live it. Okay? This word, bios, this word, bios, is the same word we see in Mark 12, 41 to 44. Okay? This is the widow's offering. Okay? And when he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box, many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, she out of poverty, and has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Okay? So John's pulling from this concept. He's using the same word in the same type of context. Okay, give when you have brothers and sisters in need. And I'm not talking brothers and sisters you necessarily know. This could be people all over the world. Okay, you know, do you guys know that people in Asia are still starving? Most of Asia is still completely shut down. People haven't been working for months. And in a lot of Asia, Christians are a minority. And they're the first ones to not work. And people are physically starving to death. Do you know that? Okay. What we live, excuse me, what lives in us. And this is what John's really pointing to here. What we choose to let live in us, the God of love or the God of hate, that exudes out of us. If God's love is in you, his love will exude and pour out of you. If sin and the God of hate resides inside of you, hate will pour out of you. Little children. Whenever he says little children, we know he's saying, I'm talking to everyone, but it really comes off very preachy. It just does. And maybe that's just a cultural thing. But it really does, and it seems appropriate. Whenever he says it, it seems to be a very preachy section. So it's, this feels pretty preachy. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It says you can't be a follower in Christ only in speech, but you have to be in action. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by them. Doesn't mean you don't have to do them. Okay, we're called to obedience, right? We're called to obedience. We have to do this. You have to live a Christian life. You have to live for Christ. There's action here. Let's look at Ezekiel. Okay, and this is a great example. Okay, as for you, son of man, your people will talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses. Say to one another, each and each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come and they sit before you as many people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. James chapter 1. But the doers of the word, excuse me, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If all you want to do is hear it and not live it, you're deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, okay, Jesus, right? The law of liberty and perseveres, not being being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. 
He will be blessed in his doings. Okay. And that is where things transition into, and that is a transitioning verse to our heart and God. Okay. 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. By this is pointing back to 18, what we just read, that by our living in deed and living of the truth, okay? Not just speaking it, not just hearing it, but living it. That is how we know that we are of the truth, that we are of God, that we are of Jesus, okay? And we reassure our hearts before him. Okay. That actually pulls out of, Ooh, wow. I forgot to, did I put, not put that in there? Hang on. 19. Yeah, I did. I forgot to put that in there. Hang on. Let me pull this up really fast guys. I do this in paper. Actually, what am I doing? I do this in paper. I just got it right here. This pulls back from chapter two, verse 28 Verses 28 and 29 says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Okay, that's where the reassuring of our hearts is coming from, right? We know that. That is the reassurance of our heart. We'll go to 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Okay. So our heart condemning us, this is guilt. This is shame. Whenever we feel bad, like, man, I haven't been good enough. Okay. This might be the enemy hitting you and approaching you saying, you're not good enough. God's not going to take you like that. Look at you. You're dirty. You're filthy. You've done these things that were wrong. You're not good enough. Okay. Think of Cain. Remember, this is all linking back to that Cain message, this portion of Cain, right? He's pointing back saying, God said, whoa, don't you know if you do good, it's going to be accepted, right? Just hang on. You need to overcome sin. You need to work past that. You need to push past that. Okay, God knows. Okay, so that guilt, that shame, maybe the enemy's hitting you. Maybe it's just natural. Maybe your, your conscience is just hitting you. Okay. That feeling that we don't measure up. God knows us and he sees us all. And when he looks at you, he sees your works and your deeds and your love. And he sees his son. He sees Jesus. That's why he came. That's why he sent him, right? That atonement covers you. And that's what God sees. He sees that perfection. The impurities are washed away. Or as we saw in 1 Peter, those impurities were burned out with a purifying fire, right? This is taken care of. This is taken care of. 21. Beloved. This, again, whenever he says this, it just, he keeps bouncing back and forth. Little children feels like preachy and then beloved, he pulls you in tight and colds you. Okay. Beloved, if your, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Okay. A clear conscience leads to confidence before God. And God wants us to have that confidence, right? He wants us to have that. Not pride, not arrogance, confidence. And there's a difference. 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Okay, this is this is a loaded, this is a loaded gun. These verses always bother me because people want to take them out of context so much that it, it's bothering. And I honestly, there are times when I sit here and scratch my head going, God, why did you just keep this out. Why didn't you just not put this in your word? Yes, we want to have confidence. We need to know that we have confidence. We need to know that God listens to us, that he hears us, and that he gives, that he doesn't hold back from us. But people, please be clear. He gives within his will. I can ask for that Ferrari all I want, but because I'm asking for me and for my benefit and for nothing else, who else is benefiting from that Ferrari given to me? Nobody. Nobody. Okay, maybe the Ferrari Corporation. 
benefits by getting that extra cash. But realistically, it's not helping anyone. In fact, it creates issues. It creates pride issues for me. It creates envy issues for other people. It creates issues all the way along the line. Not to mention, I can't afford the insurance for a Ferrari. What am I thinking? Come on, right? We need to ask, and he gives within his will, okay? And the Bible talks about this periodically throughout, right? But we need to recognize when we ask, we need to ask and recognize that it's within his will and it's for our benefit and for the benefit of the body, okay? Let's look at a couple verses here really, really fast. James chapter four, verse three, you ask and do not receive because you ask, what? Wrongly to spend it on your passions, okay? So you're asking and you're not getting because you're asking just for you. God, I want because I want. Yeah, I wanted that new guitar a lot. I had to work really, really hard for it too. God didn't just give me one, right? So let's look at uh, 1 John later in 1 John. This is towards the end of it. He touches on this as well. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Realistically, what that's saying is we know that he's hearing us and that's really what we want. If you boil down to it, if you're not asking God for frivolous things, the reality of what you truly want is you want to be heard. You want God. You want to know that God hears you, that he's there, that he hasn't just left you, that he's not just some far off deity that doesn't care. That's really when it boils down to it. If you're asking with a true heart, that is the reality of the request. God, don't be a God who's far off. I'm asking because from my point of view, my world mindset, this seems to be right. I need this or this person needs this. Bless this. Take care of this. But at the core root of it, we want to know that God's taking care of it and that our God is not a far off deity, that he is personal and there and he listens and he cares. Okay. So keep this in mind. We ask, ask within God's will. Okay. We ask within God's will. Now the, the reference here that we, we know because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. This is reinforces that there is a requirement. Okay. We actually need to live a life. Okay. There are ways to please and there are ways to displease God. Okay? There are things we can do that please him, which definitely implies there are things we can do that displease him. Okay, But the reality is that our God is not a distant God, and he does actually care. Which if we take that into the context of the overarching theme of this epistle, of this letter, which is talking against the Gnostics, right? There was a group of people that were coming in, changing, trying to change Christianity, left from the Christian church that they had, and they were trying to spread different ideas about Gnosticism. And Gnostics believe that the true God is a distant God that doesn't do anything. This goes against Gnosticism. He's reinforcing Christian beliefs against Gnosticism, okay? Within the context of the letter. Okay. 23, verse 23. And we're almost done, guys. Sorry. I know this is a longer one. This is, it's just a lot in here. Verse 23. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Counterbalance. How often do you think about the Christian faith and think about balances, the tension? That has to be there. There is a counterbalance throughout Christianity. There are multiple counterbalance points and tension points to where you have to have a tug on this side and this side to keep things tight and to working properly. Okay. This is a counterbalance saying belief is key. Okay. Faith is needed, 
But action is evidence of our faith, right? Our actions don't save us. Our faith does, right? But our actions show that. It's our evidence. There's that counterbalance. You have to have both ends of that going. We see in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the, excuse me, depends all the law and the prophets, right? We know this. So love God and love your neighbor. Both. There's tension there. Love God but also love people. There's tension. John 13, and a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Okay. So this is his commandment. This is God's commandment that we believe in Jesus. Okay. And that we love one another. Okay. And that naturally changes inside of us. But this is a reinforcement because it's a constant battle between the spiritual realm, God's realm, and human flesh realm, sin. There's a constant battle. And there are times where we have to choose, do I choose to be angry and hate, or do I choose to love and go with it and go with God? Okay, choose God. Verse 24, last one. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Okay. Let's look at John chapter 15, really fast. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If I do, excuse me, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Okay, so what do these have to do with each other? Well, first of all, John is speaking from his own understanding and from his own experiences with Jesus, right? So whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. This was Jesus, and we look at John 15, this is Jesus speaking about abiding in him, and he in you. And by this, we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Okay. So we know, see, these two link very heavily together. We know that God abides in us and we in him by the spirit he has given us. And what's the evidence that we have for the spirit? The fruit right? If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. The spirit is our evidence and the evidence of the spirit is the fruit. God gives us multiple points of reference. Beautiful, right? All right. Takeaway. What can we take from this? A couple things. First, we should expect to be hated by the world for loving God. Love is a fundamental for living for God just as hate is a fundamental for living for the God of this world, which is Satan, right? Loving in words alone is not enough, period. Saying, I love you, I'll pray for you, and leaving and not actually praying and not doing anything physically is not enough. We are called to love and to live in action, okay? Action. We are the body of Christ for a reason. We are not the floating mind of Christ. We are the body of Christ. The blood of Christ gives us a clear conscience. Okay. And even when our heart convicts us, whether that be from the meaning flesh or the flesh convicts us, saying, saying you're not good enough, or we just have a moment of weakness and we feel like we're not good enough. Okay. Either way, God sees what truly matters. He sees what you've done. He sees his son when he looks at you. He sees what matters. And finally, faith and action are our counterbalances. Okay? We have to have faith. Get that on screen. Where's that at? There we go. We have to have faith. We have to have action. They work together. 
They have to be there together. They're both essential. The spirit is our evidence of faith. The fruit is our evidence of the spirit. Okay? We have our evidences and we have our counterbalance. We need to live the right way. Father, I want to thank you so much again for today. Oh, it's going to be a hot one, but you know what? It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Um, there's people men out mowing their lawns. I talk about that almost weekly. I know it's maybe it's because I really don't like mowing lawns, but God, it is a beautiful day and we thank you for it. We thank you for your word. We thank you for convicting us. I know you've convicted me through this one. God, thank you for that. Showing us there are areas in our life that we need to work on, that we need to open up and allow your spirit to work on us more completely and more fully. God, if there are areas in our life that we really need you to work on us, do it. Open it up. Open our hearts up and work on us. Correct these areas. And Father, I'm going to ask for something. And, and, and those of you listening, I, I, I want you to ask this too. And no, it's painful. It's hard. Okay, but ask this. God, I know I'm supposed to be living in action. And I know this is something that I can ask, and I know this is something that you can do because you've done it. God, just break my heart for what breaks yours. Show me. Show me people who truly need that blessing that you want me to bless. Show me people that you want me to touch. Show me lives in the way that you see them. Help me understand you better by breaking my heart for what breaks your heart. Give me joy for what gives you joy. Help me be closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so that was a longer one, guys. Sorry about that. I know it is. Um, and we had some technical difficulties, so we got started a little later, but hey, it's all good, right? This is good. I hope you learned. I hope you grew. And thank you guys so much for being here. I really appreciate it. If you like this, go ahead and share it. Uh, comment on it. Do some stuff. Share it out there. Um, yeah, get the word out. It's all good. Hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Stay safe out there, okay? Love you guys. Bye-bye.